If you can't find 1 Thessalonians, it's before 2 Thessalonians, if that helps you out. All right, let's read together. I'm I'm reading uh, out of the English Standard Version, beginning with verse 2 this morning. It says, We give thanks to God always for all of you are constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. In our Lord Jesus Christ, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Father, we thank You for this message. I thank You for those that are here that have received this and are sharing it with others. But Lord, I pray that You would send a revival in our hearts, Lord, that we would be more enthusiastic than ever about what You're doing in our life, what You have done to redeem us, but that we would also want to share that with everyone, everywhere. For we all need your good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Pastor Bob Harrington, who is also known as the chaplain of Bourbon Street because of his ministry there in the uh, French quarters in New Orleans. Uh, Pastor Bob was on his way down the highway one day when an individual come running out toward his car. And this individual was waving his arms trying to get him to stop. And as a minister of God, he thought, I probably should stop and see what's going on here. But he also knew that he had just driven by a mental institution, and he wondered, well, maybe this is somebody who's escaped. Before I stop, I might want to call and get some help. But because he didn't have time for all that, because of the urgency of the moment, he stopped, he let down his window, and the guy said, thank God, you need to stop, you need to stop others. Uh, There is a bridge out ahead, and a couple of cars have already driven off the bridge, and it doesn't look good. They were able to stop and and stop traffic until others who were uh, more equipped to do that got there and began to stop traffic. Pastor Bob Harrington said in the same way, there are a lot of people that are out there trying to get this world's attention. See, the Bible says there is a broad road that leads to destruction and many are on it. There is a narrow road that leads to life and few find it. For those of us who have found it, I wonder if we're doing like this man. Are we getting out there, letting everyone everywhere know? Are we doing all we can to get their attention to share the news that there is danger ahead if they don't change direction, if they don't repent and trust in Christ? The key verse in this passage, and perhaps throughout this entire series over the next several weeks, is verse 8 for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Caio, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. They wanted everyone, everywhere, 
to know about their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles did preach the gospel and they modeled the Christian life. But the apostles also saw their need and responsibility to pass the torch. The church at Thessalonica was one of those churches we read about in the New Testament that had taken the torch and said, we will carry it. We will pass it on to those in our community and around the world. There are 7 billion people plus in the world today. I read that 25% of the world's population claims to be Christian. Now, if that were true, if 25% of the world's population had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they were on their way to heaven, we would still have an unbelievable task in that that would mean three out of four people in the world today are headed to a Christless hell and we have the responsibility to wave our arms to get their attention and tell them that they need to turn and trust in Christ. But of that 25% that claim Christianity, less than 10% actually adhere to a salvation by grace, through faith in Christ alone message. And out of all of those who claim to adhere to the message of salvation by grace, through faith in Christ alone, we can almost be certain that not all of them have experienced genuine, authentic conversion because many of them just simply have their names on the church rolls of evangelical Bible-believing churches but they don't have their name written in the Lamb's book of life. And so we can say with confidence today that more than 90% of the people in this world, perhaps 95% of the people in this world, need to hear the life-changing message that Jesus saves. Say, well, what about our area? We're here in the Bible Belt. I shared some of these numbers recently with many of you. Some 30,000 people living in Madison County, approximately one in three affiliate with a church, with a Bible-believing church. One-third claim that they are part of a religious body, and we also know that most of the religious bodies claim Christianity in this area. However, only about one in every five in Madison County, will be in church, in worship, on any given Sunday. And so we can deduce from that that our work is even cut out for us right here at home. There are many who need to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But most churches are more concerned about making everyone present, happy, and comfortable than they are about reaching those who aren't here. Consider this for a moment. The only reason we are here is for those who aren't here. Certainly we're here for the glory of God, and, and we're here to worship Him and make disciples. And so there are purposes that require our coming together, as Hebrews chapter 10 says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And so there are purposes for our coming together other than evangelism. But consider this when we think of all of those purposes, we will be able to worship better in heaven one day than we can worship here. We see through a glass darkly, but one day we'll see Him face to face. We'll lay our crowns at His feet and we'll worship Jesus in all of His glory. 
we will be able to grow in grace and knowledge of Him even better in heaven because in that place we will not have all of these barriers and, and all of these false doctrines and all of these things that keep us from knowing Him fully. And, and so an infinite God, we will be able to grow and learn and, and, and come to know Him better and better throughout all eternity. We exist for fellowship. The body of Christ is supposed to enjoy fellowship one with another. And in Baptist circles, often that involves eating, doesn't it? It involves somebody bringing a casserole, right? It involves uh, dinner on the grounds and things like that. Fellowship has to do, though, with the intimate relationship, a connection. And we want everybody in the family of God to get to know others in the body of Christ and fellowship with one another. But in heaven, we'll experience fellowship like no other. We'll enjoy not only being in the presence of a holy God, but we'll be there with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We'll have a pure fellowship without any division whatsoever. And I've got news for you. It won't just be Baptists there either. It'll be all those who have named the name Jesus Christ, who have called on Him for salvation. And we will have rich and wonderful fellowship. Those things that we're supposed to be doing here we'll also be able to do in heaven. One thing we will not be able to do when we get to heaven, we will not be able to tell a lost person how they can give their heart and their life to Jesus Christ. Because there will not be lost people in heaven. And so that says of all the purposes of the church, there is one that is much more urgent. It may not be more important, but it is certainly much more urgent than every other purpose of the church, and that is to take Jesus Christ. We are here, not raptured out of here early so that we can worship and grow and enjoy one another in heaven. We are here for those who aren't here, for those who need to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Well, what were they doing in Thessalonica that Paul was so excited about as he wrote this letter? Just give you a couple things this morning to introduce this series, and then we'll spend the next few weeks building on this foundation. Number one, Paul was excited because the gospel requires a living example that is credible. The gospel requires a living example that is credible. In other words, their life would give credibility to their message. The gospel requires a living example that is credible, and that's what the Apostle Paul had been. If you go back to verse 2, we give thanks to God for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering verse 3, before God and our God and Father, your work of faith. They had worked out, they had lived out their faith. Your labor of love. Now, the gospel is free. Salvation is free. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are we saved through faith, that not of ourselves. It's a gift, a free gift of God, not by works lest any man should boast. But verse 10 in Ephesians 2 says, We are His workmanship. And so they had put their faith to work. They had embraced the work and the mission of the church, and because they had embraced the work and the mission of the church and the body of Christ was finding their responsibilities in the life of the church, they had been a living example, a credible example of the changed life. And then he says, patience of hope. That they were living for a better place, they were living for a better day, they were living their life in this world in the hope of a better world. He elaborates on that in verse 10, when he says, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. 
They had a life that was changed by the good news, and they lived with that hope to come so that others could see the hope that is within them. In verse 4, he goes on to say, We know, brothers, loved of God, that He has chosen you because of our gospel that came to you in not only in word, but also in power and of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I know that God has a plan for you. He's chosen you for this plan. Ephesians 3.20 says that this plan is exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or even think about. God has a wonderful plan for your life. God has a wonderful plan for Trinity Baptist Church. God has a wonderful plan for our children's ministry, our student ministries. He says, listen, I have selected you, I've chosen you, I've placed you in this world for a purpose. I've got a wonderful plan. And as the apostles, verse 5, had lived out what God was doing in their life, they saw in their example that the power of God was for real. That God really does change His lives. We see this example further elaborated on in verse 6. He says, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. I'm sorry, I'm in chapter 2. Go back to verse uh, chapter 1. And you became imitators of us. You followed our example and the Lord. Paul had this mentality. Follow my example as I follow his example. You follow me as I follow Christ. See, it would seem arrogant for any of us to tell somebody else, follow my example. Unless we are also at the same time striving our best to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. That life exemplified that we begin to pattern our life after becomes an example for others to make our witness more credible. In other words, we are to be about lifestyle evangelism, living our life out in such a way that it communicates the power of the gospel. Let the folks around you see the difference. Verse 7 Back in verse 7. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. All of those around you began to see you as an example. So that when you get serious about witnessing, all of a sudden, your message holds water. What you're telling makes sense. When put under the microscope or when interrogated on the witness stand, What you're saying holds water because you're able to live it out. I heard the story, Stan will appreciate this, heard the story of a game warden in California who came across a man who was sitting there at a campfire eating fish and bald eagle. And this game warden said, Sir, do you you not understand you can't eat bald eagle? And so... He wrote the man a citation. He appeared with the man in court. This man was charged with killing and eating bald eagle. He said, this is against the law. This is a a very serious crime. And went on the witness stand. The lawyer began, the attorney began to really interrogate the man. The man said, no, no, wait a minute. You don't understand. Can I at least give my side of the story? And he looked to the judge. And the judge said, sure, I want to hear it. Why why were you sitting there eating a bald eagle? He said, well, see, it's it's like this. Judge, he said, I was lost in the woods, I was disoriented, and I couldn't find my way out. And I saw this eagle fly by, and he flew by a stream, and he picked up a salmon, and 
Uh, I saw that fish and it just made me so hungry. And sure enough, the, the eagle landed not far from me and started to eat the fish. And I thought, if I throw a rock, I will scare the eagle away. And I'll have that fish. And I'll be able to survive. And I'll, I'll be reoriented and I'll know where I'm at. He said, so I picked up a rock and I just threw it as hard as I can. As disoriented as I was, would you believe that rock hit the eagle right in the head and killed the eagle? And I had always been taught that you weren't supposed to waste anything, so I thought while I was cooking the fish, I might as well skin and, and clean the eagle and eat the eagle too. And the judge really had, had no reason not to believe the story. As outlandish as it seemed, the judge just said, you know what? I'm going to believe your story. I'm going to let you off. After the courtroom began to clear, the judge called the man up and he said, just curious though, how did that bald eagle taste? And said, well, you know, it was, it was somewhere between California condor and spotted owl. You see, sometimes we need to make sure that our story holds water. Now I'm trying to figure out which water is... Mine up here. We need to make sure that the story that we give is the story that we live. Our witness must be backed up by a credible example, a credible lifestyle. Is your life a credible example? Serving Christ, is that a priority in your life? Is your labor of love filled with a passion to reach out to others. See, we will not share with others what is not real to us. And I believe that there are a lot of folks today that the only reason they're not being a witness, even when they want to be a verbal witness, is they know that those to whom they desire to be a witness, maybe even their own family, they know that those folks know that it's not real in their life. And so we've got to be that living example first. But here's what we often say. When it comes to this whole issue of life change, I want you to think about the words that he used in here. This hope, why is it so important to have your hope in something that's bigger than this world? Here's what we often say. We often say, I've been a Christian since a young man. And I can say the same thing. I've been a Christian since a young lady. I came to know Christ when I was 10 years old. And some of you would say when you were 7 or 8 or 9. I grew up in a Christian home. And so I've been living for the Lord for a long time. Most people are not going to see a significant change in my life. And that's, that's the story you'll get from a lot of Christians. Most people will not necessarily see the power of God in my example because they won't see the change in my life because as long as they have ever known me, I've been a Christian. So here's what God does. God allows us to experience certain trials and crises in life. God allows us to go through some difficult times in life so that He can show Himself as the difference maker. God allows us to go through struggles, go through trials, so that we can be an example by our work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness in hope. When the church was going through great trial, when they were under great attack, when their faith was under attack, when they were going through one temptation and one trial after another, 
Peter wrote to the church there during the period of the Roman Empire when they were under the greatest attack. And he says, be ready to give an answer when they ask for the reason for the hope that is in you. And so the question is, if you have been a Christian for as long as you can remember, and perhaps you would say, you know, I've forgotten what it's like to even be lost. I've known Jesus for so long. God will allow trials into your life so that He can bestow His power in how you reflect hope in Him in difficult seasons of life. What is the difference people should see? In in trial, they they serve and they worship God. They're going through a difficult time, but they've been steadfast in in worship and in faith and in their witness. Rather than cursing God, they're praising God. Wow, that makes a difference. And they see the difference the gospel makes in your life. You're living it out. See, we often come with a different response to that. Well, I know this person's a Christian, but bless their heart, they're going through a hard time right now. And so we're going to give them a pass. I know they are Christians. I know that they are a Bible-believing Christians, but you've got to understand you don't understand what they're struggling with. You don't know the trial they're going through. You don't know their circumstances. And so right now, they're not being a great witness. Listen, church, and many of us have learned this recently, and I've been so grateful for the witness so many of you have had. The only time that some people, because we've been saved so long, the only time that some people are going to see the power of God in our example is exactly when we are going through the most difficult times, and we choose to be faithful to God, to worship God, to serve God, to praise His name, and be His witness anyway, regardless of the circumstances. We need an example that makes our witness credible. But secondly, the gospel requires a loving explanation that is clear. The gospel requires a loving explanation that is clear. St. Francis of Assisi is famous for having said these words, preach the gospel, Use words if necessary. Some of you have heard me say it before, and I'll say it again. Words are necessary. We've got to walk the walk, but we must talk the talk. Your walk gives credibility to your talk, but your talk gives clarity to your walk. And I heard every inspirational message when I was growing up at great youth meetings and youth conferences and, and Fellowship of Christian Athlete meetings and, and places like that where folks would say, if you'll just live for Jesus Christ by example, why you'll have people running up to you asking for the difference in your life. What's happened? What's changed you? Tell me how I can be saved. But I never had those people run up to me and tell me that. We have to choose to verbalize it ourselves. See, in verse 5, Before he says, be an example in your actions, he says, not in word only. He says not, he doesn't say not in word, he says not in word only. Verse 6, you received the word. See, the gospel had to come to them in word. Verse 8, the word, the gospel has sounded forth from you. We must be a credible example, but we must be willing to speak the words. Open our mouths and share Christ. Our faith must be articulated. Now, we're about to wrap up this morning. How many of you would say, we have any young men over here that would say, Pastor, by the time you get finished preaching every Sunday morning, I'm hungry. You got just be honest. Pastor, by the time you finish uh, preaching on Sunday mornings, 
Well, I'm hungry. As a matter of fact, it's about noon and, and, and my stomach's turning and I'm ready to eat, so I wish you'd just wrap it up. And, and, you know, some of you may want to do like I'm doing this morning. I just, I kind of thought I'd be a little long-winded. So I brought me an apple and uh, borrowed Kent's pocket knife a while ago. Just don't know where it's been, but we're going to risk it. And uh, I thought, you know, I could just cut an apple because I'm hungry by the time I finish preaching. I can talk with my mouth full and make you hungry. Any of you guys like apples? Like a red, who likes red apples? Anybody like red apples? Can you tell I'm enjoying this? This is pretty good. And, and, and the message that a lot of people have, and I need my water to wash that down. The message that a lot of people have is that we should eat that apple in such a way that it makes others hungry. We should enjoy the gospel in such a way that it makes others hungry. But wouldn't it be better? See, Sam, did you say you liked apples? Wouldn't it be better? Run back there to the soundboard right quick. Run back back to the soundboard right quick. Chris, you got, got another one back there? All right. See, Chris has an apple for Sam. Chris is going to give Sam an apple, and if you want to trust Kent's pocket knife, I'll even loan it to you, but you're welcome to uh, use your own. Or he would say, I don't need a knife, man. I'll just sit over here and eat it. You say, Pastor, why are you doing all that? That's a little bit crazy. See, it's one thing to live the Christian life out in such a way that you enjoy it. But it's another thing to say to those who see you enjoying it, here's where you can go and get what I've got. See, it's not enough to say, boy, Jesus sure is good. We need to be able to explain. Our talk has to give clarity to our walk. We need to be able to explain to people in our witness where they can also come to know Jesus Christ. Acts 1.8 says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And in the weeks to come, we'll talk about those Various co-centric circles, because I spit apple everywhere. Various co-centric circles, in other words, where is your world? What is the world that you live in? Where is your impact? How can you be a witness in your school? How can you be a witness in the workplace? How can you be a witness in your neighborhood? And how can, and I look forward to the Sunday we focus on, how can you be a witness to people that are a little bit different than you are? Because if we're going to reach Madison County with the gospel, Trinity Baptist Church and a lot of other churches like us had better learn how to reach out to people who aren't exactly like us. So let's be concerned. Let's be equipped. Let's be committed to take this message to everyone, everywhere. I was looking at an article online that listed ten practices to get word out about your small business. Ten practices to get word out about your small business. Seven of them had to do with the internet. It seems like everybody everywhere is online these days. Seven of them had to do with the internet. We'll talk about different ways and different means, even how to use the internet to reach people with the gospel, but I thought the other three were very interesting. Here's how you get the word out. Give something away. When businesses 
give something away. People take note of that. And that's why, as a church, I've said, let's not be out on the street. We'll do fundraisers where we target the church, but let's not be out on the street corner selling stuff. Let's give stuff away. Give something away. Also, simply by handing out information. Not necessarily online, but putting a flyer in somebody's hand. But, but here's, here's the one I wanted to close with. The, one of the best ways to get word out about small business, and some of you who are in small business realize this is the only way for you almost. It's by far and above the best way. Satisfied customers. Satisfied customers. Now, I'm not sharing that with you as a strategy for church growth because it's not Trinity Baptist Church that I want you to leave here bragging about. But I do want you to live your life in such a way that you know, that you know, that you know that you're satisfied with Jesus. That He has so filled you up that He has met all of your needs according to His riches in glory that He truly satisfies, that He's become that living water on the inside of you overflowing to eternal life. And then as a satisfied child of God, you tell somebody else. You tell somebody else how they can come to know Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me?